You're listening to the Next Exec Podcast Series with Executive Women's Forum. In this episode, Pretty sat down with Laura to discuss the challenges of moving to the cloud, interoperability between cloud platforms, security anti-patterns, and mentorship success stories. Laura also shares her go-to resources for anyone looking to enhance their skills in DevSecOps and cloud security. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the Next Exec podcast. We're really excited to have you on this podcast to talk about DevSecOps and cloud security. Yeah, happy to be here. Cool. So our audience is very interested in hearing more about cloud security because that is where the entire industry is heading towards. Why has cloud security been such a hot topic? Can you give us a little bit of a background on how you got into cloud security? Yeah. So funny enough, I guess I'll I'll go into my background first. I joined Capital One right out of college and they were not necessarily like cloud native by that point, but they were in the middle of their on-premise data center to cloud transition. So they always talked about burning the ships, right? They were getting rid of their on-prem data centers. They weren't going to renew the leases. So you you had no other option, right? So I learned a lot about cloud there. I would say it's definitely a hot topic because companies are deciding that having on-prem data centers, well, it might offer potentially some more flexibility for things like workloads that run constantly. They're not really as good or as flexible when it comes to things like capacity, like burst capacity, right? So if you want to handle things like Black Friday sales, stuff like that, the cloud is really good for that that instantaneous scalability. So you see a lot of companies that are starting to shift more to the cloud because they just they want that flexibility of not having to worry about, do I have enough hardware to handle the, you know, the traffic that's incoming? So that's definitely what I've been seeing lately. And there, there's also a lot of like really cool SaaS services that are coming out there from the cloud. Laura, so you mentioned a couple of interesting words that perked my attention. One of those was workloads and the other one was cloud native. Can you demystify some of these words for us? Yeah. So workloads is anything you want to run in the cloud. And I always hate making it that vague. So usually for companies, they've got things like APIs that they want to run or front-facing web servers and web services. So for a general company, they usually have a website that they're running behind the scenes. Maybe there's some JavaScript going on. Maybe there's some Flask, Python. So that's usually what I'm talking about when I'm talking about workloads is whatever kind of powers the company. Okay. So any business-related function could be a workload. Yeah. Yeah. Usually here, the the term cloud-native with respect to places like startups that when they first started developing their their web services or their APIs or whatever, their workloads, they started immediately in the cloud. They didn't buy their own data centers. They didn't buy servers and racks to run it on. They just started in AWS, GCP, or Azure, or Rackspace, like one of those places. Okay. So if you do most of your computation and if you run most of your business applications on the cloud right from the beginning... And if you use the complete cloud technology stack, then would you be considered cloud native? I want to like say yes, but there's also a part of me that's like, you can definitely use not cloud native mentalities, which is bad anti-practice that I see. Cloud native is, is really going into a particular cloud and using the cloud the way it's meant to be used by the people that designed it, right? Because they meant you... They don't want you coming in and, and using something like RabbitMQ when you could use like AWS SQS, stuff like that. So I'd say cloud native is not only 
using their hardware first, but also a kind of a design mentality of not bringing those on-premise data center ideals into the cloud. Very interesting. So in your experience, what have been some common anti-patterns when it comes to moving from on-prem to being totally cloud-native? Yeah, one of the biggest issues that I see with companies today is they just want to lift and shift. And you'll hear the term lift and shift mm-hmm. used a lot. It essentially means packaging up your current infrastructure in your on-prem data center and just, just shifting it <laughs> into the cloud and running it there. Usually what happens when you do that is you have very bad cost because it might be running something like 24-7 where in cloud native application would be running either on reserved instances 24-7, or maybe they'd be running just when you need to, like in Lambdas, or maybe they just are very small. So you see a lot of cost issues. You probably see some security issues because maybe they haven't thought through the best ways to implement their security groups and stuff like that. Really, it's it's not good to see those anti-patterns brought into the cloud. Very interesting. And I think what you mentioned sort of segues into one of the other thoughts that I had. How should organizations approach cloud security? Because you mentioned that you often see some security anti-patterns. What are a few of the challenges and how do you think we should address those challenges from a security perspective? Yeah, so I'd say point A, do not lift and shift. Definitely take a look at your application's Try to make them as small and as granular as you possibly can. There's a kind of a concept of microservices, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of these big, giant monolith applications. So you want to kind of break those down, maybe even containerize them and put them into the cloud. So A is do not lift and shift. It's never good. The other thing I'd say is don't go multi-cloud unless you really, really have to. There's so many companies that see maybe they want to go into AWS or they want to go into GCP, but they want to do two at once. And the difficulty with that is that you have to hire operational people. You've got to hire engineers that are competent in both. And it's really challenging to kind of like get get those skill sets and get people to really kind of do well at two things at once. So what I'd say is don't go multi-cloud especially not like upfront at once. Do one cloud really, really well. Make sure that your engineers just have that cloud mindset. And then if you find that maybe you need to offer services to multiple customers and they use a different cloud, then you can kind of branch into another cloud. So number one, don't lift and shift. Number two, kind of like don't go multi-cloud unless you have to. And then I guess the third thing that I will kind of mention is asset management. When you go into the cloud... Not everything's ephemeral, but a lot of things and a lot of ways that attackers can kind of pivot. It involves ephemeral things like lambdas and stuff like that, which are short running kind of jobs. They're kind of like Jenkins jobs, you know, you can run them whenever. But if you don't have really good asset management, then you might miss something. You might miss an attacker trying to get in or an attacker trying to leave some persistent stuff. So I'd say definitely have a good hold on asset management and figure out what that means for your, your cloud. Very nice. So I heard do not do lift and shift. And I think your advice on getting it right and sort of learning all your lessons in one cloud before putting your feet in multiple clouds, I I, I think that resonated a lot with me because from what I know, I think most of the cloud, major cloud service providers are pretty much the same technologically. They're not too drastically different. There might be certain nitty-gritties on 
on how to move your workloads from on-prem to a particular cloud that may be different. But overall, do you still see that a lot of the major cloud providers have similar design principles and practices when they offer their services? Definitely, definitely. You'll see a lot of kind of similar things like storage, compute. They all kind of go back to the the same type of, of concepts. Got it. Nice. And I think as security audience, we also hear a lot about misconfigurations. I don't think we still have gotten it right in terms of configuring our on-prem environments, but I'm guessing that configurations in cloud environments is another attack vector that, or it's another low-hanging attack vector. At least those are some of the things that I'm hearing in the news. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I was just at RSA Conf not too long ago, and they really instilled that misconfigurations are the number one risk to your cloud. And I think even the CSA or the the Cloud Security Alliance, their top threats working group, they kind of also have that same mentality is misconfigurations are so easy. And of course, that goes back to the you don't really want to go into multiple clouds at once because if you think you can just write some Terraform, get into one cloud, and then, hey, I'll just do some Terraform and go into the other cloud. Well, going into two different clouds is a whole separate game, let alone two different regions within the same cloud. So misconfigurations are, are bound to happen if you're not keeping a close eye on it. Very nice. Interesting. And what do you think is the business view on not moving into multiple clouds at one point? Would there be any pressing need to actually move into multiple clouds at the same time? Uh, say, for example, if you have um, certain things in Microsoft, like if you're using Office 365, you're most likely to be using Azure Cloud to some extent. But at the same time, if you want to be maybe working on other workloads that perform better on other clouds, do you think the business would be forced to consider moving into both cloud environments together? And if so, what would you recommend? Like, How would they handle such situations? I've seen this on a few different companies. A lot of times I see things like acquisitions of smaller companies where perhaps your choice company is only working in something like GCP and then you acquire a smaller company that works in AWS or Azure. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of forced to figure out, well, oh no, how do I make sure that this cloud is particularly secure in addition to my other stuff? When it comes to things like absorbing startups, it's possible that you can kind of easily you know, kind of coerce them to go into your own cloud if you've already got your setup standards. But at the same time, you've got to consider maybe did they do things better because startups tend to be cloud native as opposed to bigger companies, which tend to be more on-prem focused. So I'd say definitely take a kind of a look at that. There are a lot of cases where companies do use Azure for, for Active Directory, stuff like that. And so they, they are kind of immediately multi-cloud. I'd say when you have customers and you offer a SaaS, a lot of the times customers will want you to be in all three clouds, all three of the major ones, I should say. So that's 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 one of the big cases I'll see is if you have customers across all the clouds. Yeah, very interesting perspective. I like that you brought out the startup acquisition or the merger and acquisition space as well. And it looks like planning in advance and sort of coming up with a strategy on how to go to the cloud would be crucial and critical for dealing with multi-cloud moves if absolutely necessary. Yeah, you've got to make sure that you you really have your vision set. 
There's so many companies and so many, I'd say large enterprises, because that's usually where cloud transitions are a little bit more difficult. And they're just like, let's just go to all three clouds at once. They just don't put the right people where they need to be to kind of make sure that they're, they're doing the right things in the safest manner. Okay, nice, nice. And, and I think you previously mentioned in our conversation that there were things like moving your development to the cloud, sort of running your CICD pipelines and Jenkins jobs in the cloud. How does all of this movement to the cloud factor in DevSecOps? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I kind of looked this up a little bit earlier. So Red Hat defines DevSecOps as thinking about application and infrastructure security from the start. It also means automatically automating some security stuff to make sure that the DevSecOps workflow doesn't really slow down. So I, I really like that definition. There's a huge kind of push for DevSecOps and, and shift left. What that really means is security should never be an afterthought. If we're trying to set up a new pipeline in the cloud that works really well, let's start from the left. You know, We've got to integrate the security teams with the developer teams and the, the architecture and infrastructure teams so that they make sure that if we're going to do things like deploy code, stuff like that, how do we make sure that we put in the gates like security checks for infrastructure, they've got infrastructure as code. How do we make sure that we put in the, the gates for security code scanning, whether or not that's, that's static or not? How do we do that towards the left so that get all the way to the right, the application team has kind of already developed this and the security team says no, because no app team really likes hearing no. Yeah, you, you definitely want to get in your security mindset and bring in those security voices sooner in the development process. Yeah. Very nice. And where do you think companies are at with respect to adopting DevSecOps in their traditional development environments as well as in the cloud? Well, I feel like there are some companies, some of, some of the bigger companies, I always kind of separate them out by bigger and smaller companies because usually smaller ones, it's easier to create change. A lot of smaller companies, if they have the right people in the right places, they can easily start to influence and say, hey, I think security should be integrated here. Maybe they use GitHub. They want to use GitHub Actions to kind of integrate these new security checks and stuff like that. That's usually pretty easy to do. And bigger companies that span a lot of different organizations, a lot of different product sets. It's a little bit hard and you've got to make sure that if you have like a core service team, like a technology services, like central organization, you've got to make sure that they're the ones kind of guiding that direction, integrating security into that. Because if if that kind of side of things isn't aligned with security, then it's so much harder to, to make an impact. Yeah, very nice thoughts there in terms of having the right kind of skills at the right places in the organization to actually bring about a change or a shift in the way security is brought into the development lifecycle. So how did you get started in DevSecOps and cloud security? And what are your go-tos if somebody would want to get started with training for DevSecOps and cloud security? Yeah. So there's a couple resources that I absolutely love. There's some really good newsletters called Cloud Seclist, as well as TLDRSec. They both have really great resources and they try to keep up to date with what are there's some cool open source offerings and stuff like that. What are some best practices? So I really like those two newsletters. 
the cloud sec list and TLDR sec. I guess there's also last week in AWS, which can be hit or miss depending on if you're looking for specific security stuff. I'm trying to think of, of what else there is. Really, any security thing that you can do with an on-premise environment, you can do in the cloud. So mm-hmm. you'll see things like the MITRE attack framework has a cloud matrix that you can kind of look into. There's also the Cloud Security Alliance's top threats working group. And they also have like some other stuff. So I'd say those are some good resources. There's also like Linux Academy, which recently got acquired by Cloud Guru, which also got acquired by Pluralsight. They're really good. If you're looking to get more of a a handle on containers and how they kind of play into the whole DevSecOps workflow, and you want to specifically look at the security aspect of it, there's a really cool guy who I took some DEF CON workshops from, and he always gives a lot of workshops. His name is Madu Akola. So he's pretty cool. Definitely get some of the cloud certifications. I I know there's like a huge debate in the field about whether or not cloud security certifications are are any good. But I'd say if you look for the ones actually developed by the cloud, like the AWS specific ones, the GCP specific ones, those are pretty good. I've got like mixed thoughts about the the rest of the the certifications, but the ones actually made by AWS, GCP and Azure are are pretty good. Nice. I think you've listed out a lot of valuable resources. And I think we will be sharing the links to these resources on our podcast so that all our listeners have access to this. Clearly, when you are talking about all these resources, you are at the top of your game and your passion for DevSecOps and cloud security comes across so strong. Outside of this, what are you passionate about outside of DevSecOps and cloud security? Yeah. So I know back when I was at Charles Schwab, I actually headed up or I was the, the vice president of women in security. So I really really want to try to empower women in security, especially when it comes to cloud. But just in general, I am a mentor to, let's see, technically four official mentees, two other unofficial mentees. I just want to kind of see them prosper and grow, but making sure that they have kind of the resources that they need, especially if they didn't grow up in an environment where tech was kind of pushed on them. I think it's so important to give them that that guiding hand. Yeah, nice. I'm so glad you're mentoring new folks because we definitely need all the help we can get in the security industry. So that has been great. Can you share any success stories of your mentoring? Yeah. So one of my mentees that I'm super duper proud of, she is awesome. So she was, I think, attending Miami-Dade Community College doing a cybersecurity degree and she was kind of looking for her first summer internship, right? She's a career changer, has a really cool story. So, you know, she didn't necessarily have the tech background until she kind of went to this, this community college. And I kind of leveraged my network and I was like, hey, does anybody, are you looking for summer interns? How can I kind of help bridge that gap? And I was able to get her kind of like a foot in the door with Splunk. So she interviewed there. She passed with flying colors. So now she's doing her, her internship with Splunk and I could not be more proud. Yeah, that's badge for you. And you've really helped somebody get started on their security journey. So that's really, really good. Yeah. It's like, I'm not like a mom. So I see these little mentees as my little, my little squad. I get to see them kind of grow up into their security chops. So it's one of my favorite things. One of the other things that I really kind of learned from, from my time as a mentor is, or at least from, from the resources that I saw is there's so many different programs that are geared towards promoting women and leadership and stuff like that. 
But a lot of the times why they fail is because they're just kind of giving women the, the soft skills. They're like, okay, here's how you negotiate. Here's how you talk to colleagues, stuff like that. But a lot of them, they really don't target seeing yourself as a leader and actually believing it. So, you know, I even see this with some of the previous coworkers that I've had at, at various companies is that there's a lot of women that just don't believe in themselves. They don't feel like they're, they're heard. So I think it's really important to be aware of how much you're holding yourself back and how much you can really go forth and, and conquer if you just kind of believe in yourself. I believe that's also one of the things that the EWF Leadership Program advocates for, to see yourself as the leader. Thanks so much for that, Laura. That's so nice to pay forward and pay it back to the community. Well, with that, Laura, I think we've had a really interesting chat. Thank you so much for educating me as well as our listeners on how to approach cloud security. We surely learned a couple of things in terms of the terminology that's used in cloud security and also best practices. We also got to know about your passion and we're taking away a lot of good resources for some take-home reading for our listeners. Thank you so much for coming on the Next Exec podcast. It was wonderful having you here. Yeah, it was awesome getting to join. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.